Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to teach this morning on the, on the end times, on the coming of Christ. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you get your Bibles handy and go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. My intent this morning is not to rebuttal any of the folks. There's a lot of people that are out there um, that say are saying a lot of things about the end times right now. There's a, there's a lot of talk right now about the blood moons and the Shemitah year and all those things. Uh, my intention this morning is not to address those. Uh, there's, a, there's a blood moon happening today, all those things. I, my, I'm not addressing all that. Uh, I, don't, I don't get into all of those things. I'm not, my intention today is to not uh, give you some great eschatological thing with the big banners and the signs and that, you know, there's people who can do that and they've got all the maps and the diagrams and they can explain every bowl and every vial and every whatever. <laughs> That's not my intention today. And uh, I want to give you scripture. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you scripture. I'm going to give you what the Bible says. I don't want to give you my opinion or some prediction. I'm not going to tell you when Jesus is coming back, although I think it's going to happen pretty soon. I'm not going to give you a day and time when Jesus is coming. I'm not, I think we can understand the seasons, and I think we can understand the times that are around us. But uh, for me to make some sort of prediction today is foolish. And so I'm not even going to even dare do that. Uh, although I think the times and the signs that we'll go through today are going to give you clear indication that, uh, that we're living in those times. I ran across this quote, and I know I'm going to challenge the, uh, the folks in the media by doing this, but I, I ran across this quote, um, and I thought, man, that, that is a, that's a great... Uh, response to all of the things that are going on around us right now with the, uh, with all of the <laughs> junk. Let's just say junk that's being said. Um, before I read this, I think a lot of what you are seeing and a lot of what we are hearing, it's recycled. It's, it's, say, it's the same things that we've heard over and over and over again in the body of Christ regarding the end times. And I think there's a lot of people, and when I say people, I mean ministers. I think there's a lot of ministers and ministry leaders who prey on the fear of, and the gullibility of believers, that they, that they make money off of motivating people by fear. And I want to tell you something this morning. The, the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, is not to instill fear in believers. It ought to instill faith. When we, when we look at the times and the things that are happening around us, it ought not create fear in our hearts. It should stimulate fear and encourage fe or faith rather in our hearts or stimulate faith in our hearts. Jesus said, when you see these things happening, look up for your redemption draws near. So I, wa I want to say to you this morning, if you see someone 
And there's plenty of them on TV. There's plenty of them right now on TV. If you see people that are, are trying to motivate you by fear to stockpile and to store up and to do this and to do that and spend your money on just foolishness, you need to take a look again at the Word of God and compare what they're saying to the Word. But this is the quote I found. I thought this was a great quote from Daniel Colinda. Daniel is, he is a missionary with Reinhard Bonnke. He's a missionary evangelist that co-labors with Reinhard Bonnke. And I think he's got a great response to this. He says, I know I'll get a lot of hate for this, but I think someone needs to say it anyway. We are not primitive pagan astrologers. We don't need to derive superstitious omens from natural solar and lunar cycles to know what God is saying. God's word is not a divining rod. It's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Yes, the signs of the times are all around us, clearly proclaimed in Scripture, but this sensationalism masquerading as prophecy needs to stop. I would encourage our leaders to be more grounded than this. I still remember the 88 reasons... 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. Everyone was terrified, altars were flooded, but the author was wrong, <laughs> obviously. He made a lot of money on people's gullibility and fear, but rather than apologize, the next year he published a sequel, the final, about the final shout, Rapture Report 1989, predicting that the rapture would take place in 1989. Can you believe that people still bought into it? <laughs> Yes, I can. The latest round of predictions will be another one we look back at and shake our heads at down the road. In the meantime, cynics will be made, hearts will be hardened to the true signs and credibility of men of God will be undermined. Nineveh didn't repent because Jonah preached to them about blood moons. Jeremiah didn't use solar eclipses as evidence that God's judgment was coming. This sort of superstitious nonsense has no precedent in Scripture. Joel does say the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But Revelation also says of that event that the stars will fall from the sky, the heavens will recede like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island will be removed from its place. This is clearly speaking about something extraordinary, not a normal astrological event as predictable as seasons and lunar cycles. John said, little children, this is the last hour. That was 2,000 years ago. If that was the last hour, we are living in the last second of the last minute of the last hour. This is enough knowledge for me to work even harder to preach the gospel and occupy till he comes. When the disciples asked Jesus after his resurrection, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus said, these things are not in your power. You can't do anything about them. Your job is to preach until I return. Can I tell you, can I just pause there and say there is absolutely nothing that Obama, that, that Putin, that anybody in this world can do to stop the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. His plans are going to be fulfilled. The end time prophecy will be fulfilled, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Jesus is coming back, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. If you say we need to recognize the signs as we can be ready for his return, I would say we should stay ready anyways. There are plenty of legitimate signs of the times clearly outlined in Scripture. Then again, these signs won't sell as many books, and I doubt anyone will bother. <laughs> That's very true. So I don't want to deal with the... With the silliness that's going on. I want to take a look at scripture this morning and what the, what the word says. The video is ready. Let's go ahead and roll that. 
It's not ready. So is it or is it not? Okay, it is not. Well, we'll show it at some point. <laughs> Matthew 24, let's take a look at Scripture. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus is coming back, my friends. Let's take a look at what the Scripture says. Then Jesus, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture, by the way, today, so I would encourage you to take notes and jot it down. Then Jesus went out, and he departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another. That shall not be thrown down. Verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet." For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall there be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sakes, those days are shortened. Then if anyone asks, or if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. This is a great description of the coming. By the way, let me pause. This is a great description of what's taking place around us. There's people making their predictions, saying he's coming here, he's doing this, doing that. And Jesus clearly says, don't believe it, don't chase after it, don't go after it. Because just like the lightning flashes across the sky, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It will be that quick. The, the Bible says like an atomic second. Jesus is coming back in an atomic second. Quicker than you and I can blink our eye, Jesus will return. It will be just like that. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon, verse 29 and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heavens will be shaken. There's, there's your uh, 
lunar stuff right there. <laughs> if you're one of those that's all about the blood moons, there it is. There, this, is this is what it's saying. It's not going to just be a moon. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a great Sound of a trumpet, they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree, when its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it's near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away." But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not, only, and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, and an hour you do not expect. I want to say to you today, you need to get, make sure that your life is in order. If I were to say to you, if there's anything that you need to leave today with, you need to make sure that your life is in order. You know, stop playing games, stop playing religious games. Jesus is coming and he can come at any moment. It's time to get your life in order. Stop, you know, listen to me. If God has spoken to you and he has told you that you need to engage in ministry, you need to be involved in something, stop dilly-dallying. Stop playing games. Get involved. Get, get grounded in the word. Get grounded in church. Reach out to the hurting and the broken around you. It's, it's time to fulfill the things that God has spoken to you. Don't play the games anymore. Stop living in offense. Well, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Woulda, shoulda, coulda won't do you any good before the judgment seat. The Bible says that our works will be judged on that day. That they will be tested by fire. And I don't want to be standing in an ash heap before the coming of the judgment of God. I don't want to be standing in a pile of ashes when I stand before Almighty because I was too worried about my, my feel-good feelings and I want to feel good and I want to, I want to have the best life now. That's not what Jesus is after. He's not after your best life now. He's not after. He wants you to be blessed, sure. But he's after eternity. I said last week, this is the preparation room. This is the dressing room for eternity. Our concern, we're pilgrims in this life. We're passing through this life. It's not time to play church. It's time to be the church and see the awakening of the Holy Spirit shake this nation, shake the world. That's why we're so intense about what we preach. We don't know any other life but the presence of God and the glory of God. I don't know anything else, and I don't want to know anything else. I don't want to know about building your earthly kingdom. I don't want to know about having your best successful ministry and building. I don't want to know those things. I want to see people born into the kingdom of God by the fire of God. 
I want to see people born again, see their lives transform. I was thinking about that. You know, we're talking about the passing of time and how quickly time flies. And I was thinking back over my life and just judging my own life. Lord, you know, and seeing the presence of God, seeing people transform, seeing people get out of wheelchairs and walk, seeing people's sick, broken bodies healed, seeing prostitutes restored and, and born again, seeing, seeing the hurting and the broken, people called into ministry and discipled, all of the awesome things that I've been able to witness with my own two eyes, the glory of God displayed and fallen man, but it's not enough. It's not over. It's not enough. I want to see the glory of God shake our nation. I want to see the glory before he comes. I believe there is awakening. God's not done with America. God is not done. I know there's a lot of people say that America's done. It's past. I don't believe that. If that were the case, he would have already taken us out of here. I believe that God still has an awakening for America. There's still a harvest of souls. There's still a great harvest of souls in our nation. And it's time that you and I rise to the challenge. It's time that you and I step up and say, God, give us souls or we die. Like Rachel, God, give me children or I die. Give me souls, God. Give me the heathen as my inheritance. Give me the heathen. Give me the lost. God, I don't want to live another day without seeing the city transform. God, I don't want to. Is that your passion? Is that a burden in your heart, my friend? Or are you just satisfied with Christianity as status quo? Jesus is coming back. There's not time for status quo. There's not time for status quo religion. There's not time for status quo church. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. We know this Mount of Olives is significant. Zachariah says that when Jesus comes back, that he will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will split. And there will be a valley that is created by this earthquake, this splitting that's happening. So we know the Mount of Olives is significant. Jesus was standing there and they asked him, what is the sign of your coming? I'm sure that Jesus began to look through the ages of time as they began to ask these questions. And he began to see the things unfold of of his second return, the things that were going to happen. And he begins to tell them these things. These things you'll see. He starts off by saying, verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you. We know that in the last days, deception will run rampant. We're seeing it in our day. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Second Peter says this, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. It's a warning that there will be so much deception. There will be so many uh, false doctrines, false teachings, and so much deception running rampant in our culture at this time that even the church people will be deceived and led astray and fall from their own steadfastness, being led astray, led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and, Je- Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what Edwards said about deception. I want to share this. This is a longer quote, but I think it, it's a great quote for the deception of our day. It says, when they believe they've received revelations or spiritual experiences, 
Their minds are absorbed by them as they admire their own experience. What fascinates them is not the glory of God or the beauty of Christ, but the beauty of their own experience. They can never forget about themselves and they keep thinking, what good experience is this? What wonderful things I have found. And so they put their experience in the place of where Christ and his beauty and fullness should be. Instead of nourishing themselves on something beyond their own lives, the innate sweet refreshment of the gospel, they are absorbed totally by their own lives and all the nourishment they take in feeds their own selfishness. Wow. They are more pleased by the revelation itself than by that which their experience should have revealed Christ himself. Instead of building their lives on reality, these people rise higher and higher in their own minds, creating a structure that is built totally from imagination, self-love, and pride. In the end, they are dwelling in a castle in the sky rather than a true house. That is, I'm telling you, that is the generation in which we live this is, this is deception at its highest. You can live how you want. You can do what you want. And it's all fine. You know, one of the things I remember, and, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to step on toes by saying this, but, but I remember growing up in church, and it was, it, it was preached, and it was strongly preached, that you have nothing to do with alcohol. That alcohol is sin, you don't even go that way. You don't even, and I, I, and I remember that. It was, it was a sin to even consider taking a drink of alcohol. Hello. And now somehow or another we've progressed and we've become socially acceptable. We've become socially acceptable Christians who say, well, it's just a glass of wine with my meal. What does it bother? Deception, friends. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm not, we need to be weary of deception. We need to be aware of the realities and the schemes of the enemy around us. Yep. Where does it stop? If it's one drink there, if it's one lie there, if it's one bit of gossip there, if it's one bit of this there, I'm telling you, yep. we need to have a zero tolerance for yep. sin. Zero tolerance for sin. We don't need to be another socially acceptable church. The last thing this world needs is a socially acceptable church where we sit by and we just say, well, you can live and do what you want. The grace of God will cover you. No, friends, that's not the grace of God. The grace that if you preach that message of grace, you're going to find yourself in the Bible says it would be better for you. This is Jesus's words. It would be better for you to tie a noose to a millstone and be tossed in the river than something you lead people astray. That's what Jesus said. It would be better for you to drown yourself than you to teach false doctrine and lead people astray. And that's exactly what's happening around us. True saints, when they are greatly moved, the hearts full are to talk a great deal about God and His glory, the beauty and the pleasure of Christ, the gospel's wonder. Hypocrites, on the other hand, when they are feeling emotional, will be more likely to talk about the revelation experience rather than the thing it revealed. All of their talk centers on themselves. They will mention how blessed they are, how much God loves them, how sure they are of their own salvation, and so on. True saints find themselves to become almost invisible when they are looking at the loveliness of Christ. (laughs) If they found themselves getting in the way of their view, they would be frustrated for looking at themselves, for looking at themselves would seem like a waste of time compared to the wonder and the glory of Christ. 
Deception, friends, it's all around us. Beware of the deception. Be aware of the deceiving teaching and things that are happening all around us. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen quickly. Deception is a process. Most, and especially for believers, believers, the Bible says in James that this, this process of a lie, this process of deception starts when you're enticed by your own desires. You begin, you begin to follow the enticements of your own evil desires instead of crucifying them. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. It means those evil desires need to be dealt with and met at the cross, not allowing them to have their way in your life. Amen. And you begin to be led astray by your own desires, the evil that lurks within your own heart, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to live in deception. No, I'm not going to live according to the lie. I'm going to live according to the grace of God, the power of God at work in my life, the truth of God's word. And all of a sudden, you get, you get off. If you don't do that, you get off on this path of deception. Friends, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. We've watched our country. We've watched churches in our country. We've watched people just slide down this slippery slope. I remember my great-grandma telling me before she died, Zachary, you don't need to get, see how close you can get to the edge. You need to run from the edge and run into the power and, and presence of God. And I thank God for that. I don't want to see how close I can get. Who wants to see? If you're living on fire for God, if you're living in love with Jesus, why would you want to see how close you can get to the edge before you fall off? That's deception. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What are the deceptive teachings that are out there that the gospel addresses? The signs of the times. The first one is that there's another way to salvation. We see through scripture that the deceptive teaching that's being brought will be one saying that there's another way besides Christ. Jesus made it plain. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The apostles made it clear in Acts. They said in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. That's it, friend. If there's anybody that tells you anything contrary to that, it's deception. The second part of deceptive teaching, according to Scripture, will be that they approve of and that they engage in living after their own carnal desires and cravings. Paul told Timothy, flee these things. Flee your youthful lust. Flee your evil desires. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. John 10.5 says, Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. When you are in love with Jesus, you're falling in love with him every day. You know his voice. It's easier to fall away from into deception when you're not daily walking with the Lord. When you're not daily hearing his voice, it's easier to fall into deception because you're not familiar with the voice of your shepherd. The third area of deceptive teaching that we see in scripture is that they will forsake the coming of Christ. They will teach that that coming has already happened or it's not going to happen. In Revelation, we see the deception takes another step further. The false church makes political alliances with the Antichrist so that they can have influence and, and power. We see 
in the book of Revelation, the harlot, the church that partners with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And friends, we're seeing that today. The church is more concerned about making alliances politically than it is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to have influence. We do it in the name of evangelism. (laughs) That's not in the name of Jesus. When you're in alignment with the word of God, you set the culture not allow the culture to set you. When the church is the church, the church, when the church lives as the church did in the New Testament, that church established the culture. That church carried such power. That church carried such authority and such unction that the, that the rulers of the day said of Jared and the, the evangelists and all the apostles, these men have come here also. They've turned our world upside down. Let it be said of the church of our day that they've turned the world upside down. That we're not, we're not preaching and doing things that are deception, but we're living according to the New Testament church. We also see what the next sign that's listed here, that there will be great political and international unrest and division. There will be wars, rumors of wars. There will be betrayal among governments. Governments will betray one another. There will be internal betrayals within nations. That, that Even in the United States, you'll see states, the state governments betraying the national government. There will be dissension and strife between governments of nations and governments within a nation. And the Greek here indicates that there will be such an increase of the coverage, I would say, in our day, we would say news coverage, there will be such an increase of the awareness or news coverage on these uprisings and wars, it will be to the point where people don't know what is true and what is rumor. That there will be, there will be an over-awareness uh, of the wars, the rumors of wars, that that word rumor indicates that there will be such awareness of what's happening in our world that people won't know what's fact or fiction. Sound familiar? It's interesting that the political and international unrest, the disasters and the, uh, the deception, Jesus says of these things, that they are just the beginning that there's more to come. It indicates that after these political unrest, the national disasters, which I'll talk about in a moment, and the deception, that there will be an increase of these signs and wonders. There will be, be an increase of these things that are happening in the world around us. The international disasters that are mentioned here, they, the Greek indicates that they're inescapable. They'll be widespread. Wherever you go around the world, these natural disasters will be happening. Famines. There will be famines taking place. This is a shortage of food and water supply from crop failure, population imbalance, governmental policies resulting in malnutrition, starvation, epidemics, and increased death. The Bible says that there will be pestilence. These are fatal epidemics, plagues, disease, contagions. Earthquakes. The word there in the Greek for earthquakes means earthquakes, but also references and is used for tsunamis. That there will be earthquakes in the water which result in overpowering tsunamis. Talking about the signs of Christ's coming, friend. This thing, these things are all around us. Jesus says it will escalate, that the, that the signs of his coming will escalate at the time of the persecution, the martyrdom of Christians, and they will be hated by all people. The Greek there shows us that they will be betrayed, imprisoned, court judgments will be issued, they'll be tormented, oppressed, and murdered. A lot of people teach that 
Well, the Christians will be out of there. By, if that were the case, friend, then this wouldn't be happening. We're going to see this. And you need to know that you know who you believe in. You need to know, as Timothy said, I know whom I've believed. And I have committed to him against that day. I've committed these things to him in spite of what happens around me. I'm committed to Christ. I've committed everything to him. Because there's coming a day, even in America... It's coming. There's coming a day where we will face increased persecution, martyrdom, and we will be hated by all people. It's coming. Acts 1.8 says, you shall, be, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. That word witnesses in the Greek is you will be my martyrs. You will be my martyrs. It's coming. The Bible indicates that there will be a great falling away within the church. That people within the church will forsake sound doctrine. They'll live according to their carnal cravings. The word in the Greek is scandalous living. They will live scandalous lives. There will be division in the church, which will result in great offense. There will be a clear dividing line in the church, and great offense will result. The Greek there indicates that there will come as a result of this offense and the division. There will rise up performers. The Greek word is that there will be performers, there will be false prophets, there will be ministers who perform, but they're not truly appointed of God, and people will follow them. It's happening, friends. They will increase and deceive many. The Greek implies that they've built or established their own ministries, and they weren't called and appointed by God. They were performers, they were fakes, they were professors, but they weren't true. Yikes. And it goes on to say, in the church, Jesus is addressing the church, that in the church, lawlessness will abound. Lawlessness is sin, the Bible says. It begins with embracing sinful living. Lawlessness begins when we embrace a sinful lifestyle, when we live in compromise, when we say it's okay to have compromise in our life. That's where lawlessness starts. We've already begun the journey, and it progresses to outright rebellion against God and His authority, the pastors and the leadership He places in the church. That's the progression. It starts with sinful living and carnality, and when the preachers start preaching against sin and make them uncomfortable, they have to rebel against the authority because they don't want to live according to the Word of God. And so they rebel against God's authority, and as a result, the Bible says that the love of God in their hearts will grow cold. That word love, that the love of many will grow cold, is the agape word love of God. The agape, the love of God in the hearts of people in the church will grow cold as a result of this sinful lawless lifestyle. We see this with Judas. Judas is a great example of this, portraying the church. It starts off with inner offense. What does Judas do? He starts stealing money. He starts taking money behind the scenes. He has an inner offense with Jesus, and eventually it progresses to a public offense. He starts criticizing Jesus publicly. He criticizes his ministry. He criticizes people that are being ministered to by Jesus, and then it results in open rebellion against Jesus. Results in open rebellion against Jesus' ministry, and eventually he lost his life. You and I could say that we may not necessarily die physically as a result of open rebellion, although you might. That's what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Although you might, however, you will lose yourself to bitterness at the very least. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's happening in our day. 
People in the church are becoming offended with the pastors. They're becoming offended with the gospel. And they're living lawless lives. They're living in open rebellion. It says that there will be a great evangelism. Jesus talks about a great evangelism resulting from the persecution. I would say that if we could learn from history, this is what history tells us about this persecution. True believers will grow weary of religious forms and traditions. They will challenge the status quo. The religious will get angry. As a result of this, the religious will get angry and cause offense, even approving and participating in carnal living. All the while, persecution, martyrdom, and oppression of Christians will increase while inner turmoil in the church has everyone distracted from the rise of persecution within the culture. Then a significant event of persecution will transpire, re-engaging true believers to their mission and propels worldwide evangelism that turns literally the world upside down. We might call this revival or awakening. This awakening will fuel the hatred of believers and will cause greater divide within the ranks of those who consider themselves Christians, making more evident the true from the false church. And then Jesus goes on to say at the end of the chapter, I'll wrap up with this. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that the very intent and thoughts of his heart were only evil. Now I want to talk about the days of Noah for a moment, because we say this often, and I don't know that we always fully understand what we're talking about. The, the days of Noah, we know that they were living riotous life. They were full, everything they did was swayed and determined by their evil thoughts and their intents, that the Spirit of God, the Bible says, would stop striving with man because they were, everything they did and thought was wicked and evil all the time. And in the middle of this generation, God places a man by the name of Enoch. I believe that Enoch is a type and a shadow of the church. Enoch was two generations, four generations, sorry, before the flood. He was the great-grandfather of Noah. And in the middle of this perverse generation, God places a man named Enoch, who the Bible says in Hebrews 11.5, that Enoch had, had the favor of God, that he had, the, he had the, the favor of God because he was a man of faith, and he preached judgment coming. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch was in the middle of this perverse generation. In Jude, it talks about the warning that Enoch gave, that he warned of coming judgment. He warned of coming judgment. Enoch warned his generation about the flood, basically, that was coming. Enoch, at 65 years old, in the midst of his warning of coming judgment, at the age of 65, he has a and listen, this is all types and shadows of what's coming, friends. This is, this, God has given us types and shadows of what's coming in our day in the Old Testament. And at age 65, Enoch had a son. Enoch had a son and he named him Methuselah. We know him as the oldest man. Methuselah's name means my death brings judgment. Even in the midst of a perverse generation, Enoch is warning of coming judgment, and he names his son, my death will bring judgment. Wow, what a great name. <laughs> Any of you who are having children or considering having kids, may I recommend to you Methuselah. <laughs> at 187 years old, Methuselah gave birth to a son named Lemek. Lemek, at 182 years old, had a son named Noah. 
Why is all this important? On the 11th day of Cheshvan, which is the equivalent of our October, the 11th day of Cheshvan, something significant took place. On the 11th day of Cheshvan, God spoke to Noah and he said, you need to enter the ark. The animals are coming. My judgment's coming. 969 years later, Methuselah dies on the 11th day of Cheshvan. Methuselah died the day that God spoke to Noah and said, go into the ark. Seven days later, on the 17th day of Cheshvan, the floodwaters rise and the rains come and God destroys the earth. My death will bring judgment. God warned by his servant Enoch. He warned of a man by a man named Methuselah. Can you imagine Methuselah is watching on his deathbed? The animals coming into the ark. He's watching the, the fulfillment of the prophecy of his father. Judgment is coming. He's watching the fulfillment of the judgment prophesied. And he sees it with his own eyes before he dies. Jesus is coming, my friends. Four generations, almost a thousand years of warnings from God. Judgment is coming. I would say to you and I that we have heard for much longer than a thousand years, longer than four generations of coming judgment. Jesus and his return is very near, my friend. Are you living in the light of eternity? Are you living in the light of eternity? I don't have the time to go on in the message today, but... Matthew 25, you can read it on your own. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the disciples how they ought to live considering these things. In Matthew 25, we find the story, the parable that Jesus told of the ten virgins. We find the parable of the, of the, the, the master who gave talents to his servants and went away and said, I'm coming back. We find Jesus giving clear instruction how you and I ought to live considering these things. Let me summarize it for you in this. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The ten virgins were all in church. They were all expecting the return of the Lord, but only five of them went. The five who were ready, the five who were prepared, the five who had their oil were the ones that went. If the statistics of the Bible are true, one taken, one left, Ten virgins, five taken, five left. Fifty percent of the church will be left behind come the coming of Christ. I don't know that that's, if, I don't know if Jesus is giving us statistics there. I don't know if he's giving us a ratio. We don't know. But if he is, scary. It is important that you and I live our lives in the light of eternity. Jesus is coming back. And the signs of his return are all around us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Thank you, Jesus, that you're coming for a bride who's prepared herself and made herself ready for your return. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're coming. And your coming is soon. The day of your return is at hand. Lord, help us. 
Help us, Lord, to be ready, that we be full. Lord, that we'll be full of Holy Spirit power, that we'll be looking for the return, not taken by surprise or caught off guard by your return. Thank you, Jesus, that our lives will be lived in the life and the light of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.